Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you because Reed is definitely his own man with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. If you hear a little stuffiness in my voice lingering over from the Denver Stock Show, you are not imagining that. I am still a little stuffy, a little scratchy, and a little coffee, I guess you would call it. (laughs) And unfortunately not the good kind of coffee with whipped cream, etc. So, you'll just have to bear with me. Well, this show, folks, will be the first of at least two and likely three shows where we're going to examine private property. This show will be the history of private property going way, way, way back to B.C. times. And then its evolution in the United States as a kind of foundational element of common law going back to early Europe. And we're going to examine over the course of the three weeks why private property is absolutely key. It is key to our republic. It is key to our personal financial preparedness. It is key to our work ethic and our ambitions and our motivations. It is key to, in many ways, our self-worth, our view of our self-worth. And it is key to our freedom, which is why private property, as we all know, is under attack. One of the things we're going to be examining here is how to recognize those attacks, how to identify them, how to defeat them. I go over this also in my book, Land for Love and Money, for those of you who have not read it, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the publishers, wherever, because private property as a foundational tenet of societies and human thought and human freedom and human self-sufficiency, right? Because under all lies the land, to borrow the National Association of Realtors motto. It's true, right? From the land comes your energy, and by energy I mean your fuels to power the earth, to power civilization comes your food comes your water i mean you can go down the list it is endless and private property is under attack it's under attack because the government can't control you unless it controls your property it's under attack because the government and the morons or the intentional morons that run it and i'm talking about the entire western world led by the united states they've become a collective mindset and it's all about their power and they can't exercise true power and they can't maintain true power unless they control you and they can't control you unless they control your property and there are all sorts of insidious ways that the government and the globalists including the world economic forum i mean our buddy klaus schwab right you will own nothing and you will be happy what do you think he's talking about he means you will own nothing that means no property think about the smart cities where everybody is a is a tenant of the big guys who own it all right nobody owns their own stuff think about the regulations on food on water on transportation on travel on energy we're going to go down all this over the next three weeks i think over three weeks you will have a really good understanding of exactly what private property is how critical it is to you and to your family and to your freedoms why the globalist governments of the earth want to take 
your private property and how they plan to do it and how they are doing it because it's various nefarious ways from taxation to regulation to outright condemnation or eminent domain to the undermining of your values and your finances in terms of how you finance things you know like high interest rates oh you mean this might not be an accident oh Oh, spare me, they would never do that, would they? So this will be the first installment this show. And of course, then I'll tell you the rest of the story on this history of private property. And we're going to have a rather significant rat-a-tat-tat, too, because there's a bunch of stuff going on. None of it that you really want to beat your chest over and have big grins and laughter and, you know, a hot toddy and a smile. There are many nefarious things afoot. And the mess at our border, the showdown between Texas and the United States, actually between the states and the federal government, long overdue. I might add, along with the stark reality of the Western world getting its butt kicked by Russia in Ukraine and about to get its butt kicked, unfortunately, totally avoidable, by powers in the Mideast are just some of the things we're going to touch on in today's show. And I have some great videos, folks far smarter than your hayseed here on the website. I'll be referring you to those. I really suggest that you listen to them or watch them at your leisure. Because all these things are interrelated, folks. The attack on your private property, the aims of the globalists, the intentional incompetence in Europe, Ukraine, the Middle East, and around the globe, which are getting Americans killed, not that the government cares, I couldn't care less, are all things which need to be brought to your attention because all these things affect you, and they will affect this election. Remember, and I'm a little bit off target here, but I want you to think about this in the context of today's show. The corrupt and treasonous people who run the United States government have nothing to lose right now. They know they've been caught. They know the documents exist. They know that they've been taking bribes. They know that they've been committing treason. Yes, treason. They know that they are in violation of all sorts of federal statutes, laws, and the Constitution. They know that they have committed election fraud. They know that there's supposed to be stiff penalties for all these things. In some cases, the penalty of death. Now, what makes you think that they won't pull out all the stops to try and do in this upcoming election what they did in the last election? Because, you know, if it doesn't work, oh, well, they're no better. They're no worse off than they are right now. And if it does work, well, you know, they escape the guillotine that much longer or maybe forever. We are in a very precarious position as a country, as a republic as individuals, as an economy, and it's my job, unfortunately, to kind of bring this to your attention. Not to tell you what to do, folks. You know, our personal financial preparedness series, which really this private property three-week journey that we're going to take together, which you'll find fascinating, is part of. My job is not to tell you what to do. My job is to bring you facts, in many cases, unfortunately, that nobody else is bringing you, so that you can employ your God-given brains and decide what is best for you. That's what a republic, this republic, the United States of America, is all about. Individuals making individual choices. So, without further ado, let's talk about our quote. And I think this is particularly apropos with the subject matter we're going to be covering today and for the next several weeks. And we're going to we're going to deviate just a bit and move away from the founders for this show, although they have many great quotes too, and I'll be bringing those to you over the coming weeks. But let's go way, way, way back in time, like back to the time when private property first really kind of, should we say, took form, took hold, became important, became foundational. 
and we have the great Roman philosopher Marcus Tullius Cicero. Quote, a nation can survive its fools and even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known and carries his banner openly. But the traitor moves amongst those within the gate freely, his sly whispers rustling through all the alleys, heard in the very halls of government itself. Unquote. Well, why don't we just take a look at our White House, shall we? And then its agencies and the heads of those agencies and on ad infinitum, unfortunately, in this day and age. And how about our ranch story? Well, I think this is kind of apropos also because it goes to property and it goes to, <laughs> it goes to being a pack rat. It goes to, I wouldn't call it hoarding, but shall we say, being reluctant to dispose of things which ordinarily you would throw in the junk heap. So, you know, on a ranch, you have all sorts of stuff all the time that is broken, that falls apart, that you find, that is buried back in a corner of the barn, who knows what, or that is the remnants of some project. And you learn over time, and I learned this from my folks, you don't throw anything away, or you throw very, very, very little. I mean, it has to be absolutely worthless. I mean, absolutely no conceivable way under God's green earth that you could ever use this piece of junk for anything. It just isn't going to work. And there's very few things that really fit that category because, you know, no matter how upside down, bent, twisted, you name it, something is, well, you never know. You just might find the use for it. And I'm going to give you an example. Actually, I'm going to give you two examples. So there's this uh, retaining wall. It's huge on the creek and it kind of supports one end of this little railroad bridge, which is many, 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 many decades old, has survived all sorts of trials, tribulations, floods, and natural disasters. And we needed to do a dead man, which is where you sink concrete about all oh, 30 or 40 feet from the retaining wall, you dig a trench, you have a cable that runs from the concrete out to a big mechanism of some type which kind of retains the wall it's on the outside of the wall and it's connected to this dead man right the concrete and it stops the wall from falling over falling in crumbling well we had a big project about three years ago and there were two pieces of metal twisted and warped and you know they had a couple of bolt holes in it and you know i kept looking at them and sure enough we were able to kind of arrange them in a cross type shape and they had a perfect hole through the center than which we drilled and to which we attached the cable that went back through the retaining wall underground about six feet through the trench back to the big concrete slab which was the dead man and the thing is perfect absolutely couldn't work better more recently i've told you about the kind of solar install you know just partial this is no big you know power of the earth type deal that we're putting in the ranch and those materials, some of them, came in a really nice uh, wooden crate that had been built by the manufacturer. And you know, that wooden crate, I think under ordinary circumstances, most people would have put it in the burn pile or taken it out or do whatever. Well, you know, the more I looked at that crate, and this is before the panels were even taken out of it, the more I went, God, there's, there must be something that we can do with this. Well, sure as hell, there was. Because... In the install of a wood stove over the past year or so, we need a place to store firewood. And you know, this wooden crate has like a door on it and the whole nine yards. Well, we actually painted it inside and out, stood it on its end so it's 
really not being used the way it was quote-unquote originally designed to be used, put hinges on this door, which had only been screwed on, kind of the top of the crate, and it is now a wood bin. Six feet high, four feet wide, 30 inches deep, holds a pile of wood, probably enough for an entire season, tucks in out of the way, sits nice and level, and we painted it kind of the trim colors of the ranch house, and it blends in in the back where you can't see it, and it's perfect. I mean, it's perfect. And under any other conditions, I think 99 times out of 100, maybe 999 times out of 1,000, whoever got that crate would have thrown it away or burned it or taken it apart or thrown it in the trash. So the moral of this story is, and it kind of ties into our property theme, think twice, maybe think three times before you throw something out. You should have a little storage area of things that you think you'll never use, of things that you think may be junk. And sometime, in some way, in some form, particularly as things could get potentially scarce and difficult to get in the future, there will come a use, there will come a day. Every piece of so-called junk is like a dog. Every dog has their day. So let's dive into the foundation of Western civilization, capitalism, and your security on every level imaginable private property rights. So private property, let's talk about definitions first. Private property refers to the ownership of property by private parties. In other words, anything or anyone or any entity other than the government or any branch of government. And private property, folks, we're going to be focusing on real estate over the course of this two or three week series. But understand that private property includes real estate, buildings, objects, intellectual property, copyrights, patents, trademarks, trade secrets, and all sorts of things. No matter what type of private property it may be, private property and the transfer of private property and the ownership of private property basically takes place through an owner's consent, a sale, a gift. It's really important to understand that property rights define the rights and the privileges that accompany private property, no matter what that private property may be, but particularly in real estate, which is where we're kind of focused here. And it includes theoretical, there's lots of theories out there on private property, and legal ownership of resources, right? The resources that go with private property and how they can be used. And listen, these resources can be tangible, in other words, real things like a rock you hold in your hand, or intangible, like the air above property. And they can be owned by individuals, by businesses, or by groups of people and or businesses, in which case they're private, or by government or government agencies or quasi-government agencies, in which case they are government or quote-unquote public properties. So in many countries, particularly Western world countries, including the U.S., individuals exercise private property rights, which include the rights to accumulate, to hold, to delegate, to rent, or to sell their property. And it's really important to understand because it's the foundation of capitalism, really. It's also the foundation of self-worth and self-motivation and productivity, which we'll get into over the course of this series. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal, and obviously I've done a pile of research on this little series of personal financial preparedness I'm bringing you. And in doing so, I looked at a bunch of precious metal dealers. There's a bunch of them out there. Some are very good, but I think one of the very best, BBB, A-plus rated, five-star rated, is Harvard Gold Group. 
They have a terrific private direct delivery program, your house, your business, your investment accounts. They can help you set up your investment accounts to hold these metals. I negotiated, by the way, a $250 discount on your first order through them, which I think is kind of cool. And they have a lowest price guarantee, whether it's gold or silver, and they will be happy to talk to you about that and how it works. So call them, 844-977-GOLD, or go to their website, harvardgoldgroup.com, and use the code READ, READ, that's me, to get your $250 discount and some other goodies. Are you a fan of the 1883 miniseries? Then you will love its partial inspiration, Threads West, an American saga. The number one national Amazon and Barnes & Noble best-selling multi-generational epic saga of the American story in the West. Recipient of a whopping 37 national awards, including Best Historical Fiction, Best Multicultural Fiction, Best Fiction Series, Best Romance, and Best Western. You will recognize the characters that live in these pages. They are you. They are us. This is not only their story, it is our story. Threads West is written by Wyoming rancher Reed Lance Rosenthal. Lois Henderson, Chief AD Library Information Services, proclaims fluent and strong, sensual, evocative, and unforgettable. Compared to McMurtry's Pulitzer Prize winning Lonesome Dove and Michener's Centennial, Rosenthal's epic masterpiece will rival even some of Louis La Amour's best loved work. Called The Gone with the Wind of the West and Sackets on Steroids. Get it now. Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Kindle, Nook, Audible, or the publisher, ThreadsWestSeries.com. Property rights form the basis, think about it, of all market exchanges. All. Whatever the property right happens to be, patent, land, doesn't matter, right? It has a value. It has a value to the owner and or seller, and it has a value to the buyer or the guy who or girl who wants it. And this affects, very importantly, the efficiency of resource usage because the market drives values and resources are a element of private property rights that go with, in the case of what we're talking about, real estate. So property is generally secured by laws, clearly defined and unfortunately enforced by the state, by the government. And these laws define ownership. Remember, so if there's laws that define ownership, they can change laws that redefine ownership or that eliminate ownership or that regulate ownership. And these laws also affect any associated benefits that come with holding the property, like rents. Oh, rent controls, right? Or you can't evict the tenant or all sorts of other little games which they're beginning to play to undermine private property rights and private property economic rights. And it's important to understand that in the terms of public property, government property, ownership is enforced by who? By the individuals who are in positions of political or cultural power within those governments. There's one kind of interesting, oh, I wouldn't call it an anomaly, kind of exception, kind of wrinkle in this fabric, and that's homestead property rights. Homestead property rights, I think, is one of the purest forms of economic, capitalistic wedding of resources and productivity and property ownership, in this case land, homesteaders, of any type of example we have out there. Because in homesteading, folks, think back to the 1850s, right? Or 
Actually, there's still homesteading going on, believe it or not, in certain areas of North America. But homesteading is unique. This is when an individual acquires a previously unowned resource, and he mixes his labor with the resource over a period of time. For instance, think about homesteaders, right? Plowing a field, carving stone, extracting minerals, domesticating or herding or keeping wild animals or beef, you know, domestic animals. All of these blend labor with economic output, which equates to the earning of land, real estate ownership. Pretty fascinating. It's one of the purest forms, purest examples of the importance of private property and how private property is a part and parcel of productivity, economics, ownership, production. And it's important to remember when we're talking about private property that all privately owned resources, property, all the bundle of rights, which we're going to talk about, that go with property, are rivalrous. Rivalrous means only a single person, a single user, or a single group can possess the title and the legal claim to a property. And under current laws, which they're trying to change, we're going to be talking about that, private property owners have the exclusive right to use and benefit from the services or products which are situated on or which are derived from or which are grown on or which are produced from private property. And it's interesting to note, folks, if you think about other areas of the world or other forms of government, non-capitalistic governments or less capitalistic governments like China, Russia, etc., where property rights don't exist, private property rights, the ownership and the use of resources and property are allocated by the government by force, by force. We're going to talk about that looking into the future. And what that means is is that those resources that are allocated by force, by governments, are allocated based on political ends, not economic ends. The government determines who can interact with, who can be excluded from, who may benefit from the use of property. I've brought you the stories of what's happening, and it's unbelievable, in South Africa, where the Boers, the white farmers, are literally being murdered. Their land is being taken and being reallocated by the <laughs> by the so-called government of South Africa, which is running amok. You know, this is kind of a form of vote-buying reparations, immoral, and in my opinion, downright criminal acts and lack of acts by a government to further its own ends by votes at the expense, in fact, the lives, never mind just the private property, the lives of people that are ideologically out of favor, shall we say. And don't think that that hasn't happened in other places. And don't think for one moment it can't, under certain certain circumstances, if we allow it, happen right here in North America and the United States. Think about reparations, you know, all that stuff they're talking about. So as we kind of finish up this definition of private property, keep this in mind. Every price in every market is a voluntary, capitalist, kind of society-driven value placement, which originates through the transfers of what? Private property of whatever type it may be. And every transaction and each transaction takes place between one property owner and someone interested between one property owner and someone interested in acquiring the property. And the value at which the property exchanges between those people depends upon how valuable it is to each of those various parties. I mean, it's basic capitalism, basic human nature, basic incentive or disincentive. What about the history of private property? We know now what it is, what it's defined as, at least on a broad brush basis. 
As a legal concept, private property is defined and enforced by each individual country, state, county. I mean, it varies all the way across the board. But it's the legal designation for the ownership of any type of property by a non-governmental source. And the first evidence of private property dates all the way back to the Babylonians. This is like 1800 BC. And they found evidence, believe it or not, in, in archaeological digs of clay tablets which were used for calculating property boundaries. The first real discussions of private property, you know, property owned by something other than the king or the shah or whatever, was in the Persian Empire and later on emerged in kind of the early Western civilizations. Fast forward to like the 17th, 16th and 17th centuries in the Western world. Property, quote unquote, came to have its legal definition in the 17th century. And it was the issue of agricultural land. Very interesting, right? Even four or 500 years ago now, we're talking about food. The resources of land was kind of the fulcrum. It was the foundation of all sorts of discussions about private property rights, who should have them, who does have them, whether or not they're just for the sovereign, the king, or whether they're for the common folks. And there was a gentleman by the name of John Locke, I'm sure many of you have heard of him, and another gentleman by the name of Adam Smith. This is the late 1500s, early 1600s. And John Locke, he kind of conceptualized property, private property, as a natural right, a quote-unquote natural right, that God had not bestowed exclusively on like a king. And because property is a natural right, it's also a natural result of labor improving upon nature. Remember our little discussion about homesteading here a few minutes ago? So by the virtue of the expenditure of labor by common people, the laborer becomes entitled to the production created by his labor and the resource from which the production is obtained, i.e., in this case, the land, private property. And Locke argued that private property was independent of government. He kind of distinguished between quote-unquote common property, by which he meant property and consumer goods and producer goods that were shared by the collective. And he focused on property as land ownership, which resulted in improved land management and cultivation. And then the next guy who really made a huge contribution in terms of the thought about private property in Western governments was Adam Smith. He defined natural rights to, quote, liberty and life, unquote, not to property, interestingly enough. And he drew attention to the relationship between an employee and an employer and identified that property and civil government were in some ways dependent upon each other. In fact, he went so far as to argue, and you're going to see this argument come about in socialist and communist circles nowadays, that civil government could not exist without property because the government's main function, main function, was to define and safeguard private property ownership. Think about that for just a moment. The government's main function was to define and safeguard private property ownership. Think about our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. I've brought you those histories, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But property is intermixed in all our documents. And then, of course, we have Karl Marx. Ah, yes. Economist and philosopher, as the left likes to call him. I have another name for him, but that's besides the point. So he provided a pretty, unfortunately, influential analysis of the development and the history of property formations. And his conception of private property was that there was no private property. That private property was really collective property. That no one had the right to own property other than 
the collective. And he took great umbrage, if you will, at the fact that the enforcement of property law concerning private property was a matter of public expense. Do you remember those words of our buddy Barry Obama? Do you remember Joe the Plumber when Barry Obama said, uh, you didn't build that? It's the same concept, folks. And since we know that Barack Obama is number one, a communist, and number two, a radical Islamist, we see how these uh, Marxist thoughts and ideologies permeate Obama's, unfortunately, his first two terms as president and now his third term as president with cadaver out in front. And that is why private property is under attack, both frontal and very subversive, kind of around the edges, you know, the nudge factor. How do you boil the frog? You boil him slowly until he can't escape. So Marx and his ilk believed that, or he believed, and now his descendants, his disciples believe, that property ownership is really a privilege. It's not a right. There's a big difference. And therefore, because it's a privilege, a government has the right to play, to create and dictate the value of a property and to charge the quote-unquote owner for the privilege of owning and using the property, i.e. a tax. And of course, we're familiar with property taxes, right? We're familiar with uh, how expensive they can be and how quickly they are going up. We're going to talk about that because it's one of the ways the government has to divest you of your private property. And we're familiar with the fact that taxes for this privilege of owning quote-unquote property, or should we say safeguarding property for the collective under Marx and Obama's thought processes, it can be imposed annually or it can be imposed at the time of a transfer to or from somebody or both. And also, in true Marxist tradition and collectivist thought, we've evolved in our private property rights, particularly as it relates to real estate and all its various bundle of rights, which we're going to talk about to accepting significant, severe, and increasing limitations on use of the bundle of rights or the property from which the bundle of rights comes from by governments at various levels. I mean, building codes and mining restrictions and water and runoff restrictions. I mean, I can go down the list. We're going to go into them in detail in the coming weeks because it's one of the ways they're, they're employing rather insidiously regulations to slowly pry your property from your hands and the control of your property from your hands. And of course, we're all familiar with ownership of private property that can be lost to the quote-unquote public interest, right? Eminent domain, you know, for a road or for a power line or for whatever the government decides is uh, politically expedient or ideologically beneficial to their contributors and donors. And now for the rest of the story. In short, the capitalist theory, John Locke, think of going back, it considers private property to be essential for the construction of a prosperous society. Private ownership of land ensures the land will be put to productive use and its resources protected to maintain its value. And private property attaches monetary values to land, to resources, to land uses, to the bundle of rights which goes with land and property. And private property is a key ingredient to the capitalization, in other words, the creation of wealth and money to do other things with within a capitalist society. On the other hand, socialists and communists, the Marx, Obama, theories, the World Economic Forum theories, they argue that private property relations limit the potential of an economy because productive activity is really a collective activity. Remember, you didn't build that. Where the role of 
people becomes redundant. And because owners are passive and therefore aren't entitled to ownership of land. In other words, if you're a landlord, this is where rent controls and all this mindset comes from. If you're a landlord and you just own a house and you're just collecting rent every month, you're a passive investor. Therefore, you have no labor or economic input. And therefore, you really shouldn't be the owner of that property. You're not entitled to it. We're going to discuss this much more in the coming weeks because it's from the interplay of these two basic, there are others, but these two basic and very diametrically opposed viewpoints as related to private property that both the importance of private property to you and to your life and to your well, to your food and survival, never mind to your financial survival, versus the collective, in which case the collective the government believes is the government or the government there to safeguard the collective, the collective being who has the most votes in the minds of many of the governments, unfortunately, that we are now stuck with. So it's a whole different approach to resources. And of course, with the control of resources and land comes power. And what government doesn't love power? This is Reed Lance Rosenthal. And obviously, I've done a pile of research on this little series of personal financial preparedness I'm bringing you. And in doing so, I looked at a bunch of precious metal dealers. There's a bunch of them out there. Some are very good, but I think one of the very best, BBB, A-plus rated, five-star rated, is Harvard Gold Group. They have a terrific private direct delivery program, your house, your business, your investment accounts. They can help you set up your investment accounts to hold these metals. I negotiated, by the way, a $250 discount on your first order through them, which I think is kind of cool. And they have a lowest price guarantee, whether it's gold or silver, and they will be happy to talk to you about that and how it works. So call them, 844-977-GOLD, or go to their website, harvardgoldgroup.com, and use the code READ, READ, that's me, to get your $250 discount and some other goodies. Hey listeners, this is Reed Lance Rosenthal, your host of On the Right Side Radio, and I have a message for you. Do you want a business? Sell a product? Provide a service? Have a message you want to get out? Do you believe in freedom, the Constitution, and America? Here's your opportunity to reach 69 million sets of ears in scores of markets around the country, including five of the top 10 and 15 of the top 50 markets in the United States of America. Very affordable, very flexible, 30 and 60 second packages available. Give your business a boost and help America get the truth. Call Francis at Media Airtime at 602-300-8250, 602-300-8250, or write Francis at MediaAirtime.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S at MediaAirtime.com. Thank you. Okay, folks, it's rat-a-tat-tat time. First of all, you guys need to get involved in this election. Part of an election process is information, and information comes from many different sources. I've told you about these guys in the past. I'm going to reiterate it here. Judicial Watch. 
probably the foremost, shall we say, turner over of stones to reveal dark and nasty things underneath of any outfit out there. They are absolutely terrific and they are bulldogs and they get the job done. They've been particularly active in voter registration, illegal voter logs, all sorts of things going to be key in this election. They've been key in FBI obstruction of the U.S. Senate investigations in Hunter Biden, attempts to hide uh, from the American people the results of COVID-19 vaccine safety studies. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a moment. Gain-of-function research funding, which Fauci lied about along with the NIH. The Wuhan Institute of Virology in China. And the FBI planning and spying on church groups and pro-life groups, etc. These guys rock. Judicialwatch.org. Contribute to them. And speaking of interesting COVID statistics, number one, there's some great articles which we've posted on the COVID page and under Rat-a-tat-tat on the website, on the right side, radio.com. If you remember, about two years ago, I brought you a study by Cornell University. In fact, the folks were, uh, researchers were Jacob Wallace and Jason Swartz and a guy by the name of Paul Goldsmith Pinkham. Definitely lefties. They blamed their findings on vaccine hesitancy. In other words, Republicans not taking the jab. Well, come to find out that what I told you at the time and subsequently, although I never had the time nor the resources to truly follow it up the way I wanted so I could report it to you, we now have a study which has just come out which corroborates what these Cornell researchers found in terms of excess deaths, the disparity between Democrats and Republicans, between red areas and blue areas of the country. But this goes one step further, and it's by some pretty big names, and this correlates the actual jab administration in these areas. In other words, it had nothing to do with not taking the jab. It had everything to do with taking the jab. Let me go back to the original study, because both studies bear each other out. So in 2018 and the early parts of 2020, quote, excess death rates for Republicans and Democrats are similar and centered around zero, unquote. However, in the summer of 2021, after vaccines were widely available, the Republican excess death rate rose to nearly double that of Democrats, and this gap further widened in the winter of 2021. Quote, the excess death rate for people of both parties was about 37% greater in late 2020, remember this when the jab started, folks, than it was a year earlier. Excess deaths amongst Democrats at the end of last year, that would be 2021 when the study was done, were just above 10% compared to 2019. Among Republicans, they were above 35%. And this is where the left-wing Cornell boys kind of went astray. Quote, this sharp contrast in the excess death rate gap before and after vaccines were available suggests that vaccine take-up likely played an important role, unquote. Quote, Data on vaccine take-up by party is limited and unavailable in our data set, but there's evidence of differences in vaccination attitudes and reported uptake based on political party affiliation, unquote. Let me boil that down for you. If you were Republican, you weren't smart enough to take the jab and therefore you died. If you were Democrat, you were smart, you took the jab and therefore you lived, or relatively speaking. Well, it just so happens that my suspicions back then, which I brought to you, and the new study which has come out through Natural News, which was by Mike Yeadon, that's Y-E-A-D-O-N, who's the former head of respiratory research at Pfizer, and an independent researcher he worked with, Craig Paradecooper, have sourced vaccine adverse event reporting system, the VAERS data, which now, of course, is even, well, 
It's up to millions of people. On vaccine deaths and injuries in the United States, and it clearly shows because they did do the data set correlation that the Cornell boys didn't do several years ago, that red or conservative-leaning states were seeing, quote, on average, twice the number of COVID vaccine-related deaths compared to the blue or liberal-leaning states, unquote. I have this article posted under Ratatat Family Safety and on the COVID page. And within the article, folks, are, and this is natural news, by the way, is several links which talks about the batch, the various batches of these so-called vaccines. They are not vaccines, the jabs. And additionally, it talks about distribution of those batches. And these guys also proved what I told you two years ago, that not all the batches or lots of these jabs that were sent out to various places places were the same. Some were highly lethal. Others were mostly harmless. Some were just entirely placebos. All their findings can be found, by the way, at howbad.info. And that link is also in this article. So you guys can read this for yourself, make up your own mind. But it wouldn't surprise me in the least, would it? And think about this. Go one step further. Let's say in a state like Ohio, Ohio and Florida seem to be the ones most studied by these groups. I'm just going to take numbers. I don't have these specific numbers. I'm bringing this to you kind of as a thought-provoking comparison. Let's say 50,000 people in the state of Ohio died from the jabs. And let's say that they brought in, through buses and planes, etc., and illegally, 50,000 illegal aliens from the border into various cities and towns in Ohio. What is the net differential, right? You have gotten rid of 50,000 red voters. You have replaced them with 50,000 illegal aliens. The net result is a 100,000 swing in both politics and demographics. And a 100,000 population count, folks is about 2% of the registered voters in Ohio. Huh, you think that's enough to swing elections in this very divided country where things are decided by tenths of a point? Yeah, you bet it is. And the Ukraine war. Oh, you know, we are getting, why we, the West, is getting its butts kicked. You understand that, right? All this hype and nonsense is exactly that. Great video by Jim Rickards, by the way, former CIA Pentagon consultant. Pretty smart guy. Not my favorite commentator, but he knows his stuff. There's a video under international rat-a-tat-tat under the audio bar, and he really goes into the stark problems the stark realities of what's going on in Ukraine. It's not good. But, folks, it's really good for business, you know. It's really good for the deep state arms manufacturers, the military-industrial complex. Because the value of U.S. military equipment sold to foreign governments reached a record high in 2023. Huh, who would have thought? Total military equipment transfers amounted to $238.4 billion in 2023. And that includes, by the way, equipment that the U.S. government purchased on behalf of other countries. And it also includes war stuff sold directly to foreign governments by American defense companies. That, by the way, is a 16% increase over arms sales in 2022. God, business is just booming. And the State Department, when questioned about this, you'll love what they had to say. It's, you know, so edifying and, shall we say, full of good facts and answers. Quote, arms transfers and defense trade are important U.S. foreign policy tools with potential long-term implications for regional and global security, unquote. That's our State Department, folks. We have nothing to worry about. We're in good hands. It's the A-team all the way up there. 
By the way, $80.9 billion of equipment was purchased by foreign governments through a program called the Foreign Military Sales System in the 2023 fiscal year which, gee, is up from $51.9 billion. I mean, we're talking, folks, uh, like, what, a 40% increase here? And countries who are participating in the program, not only do they pay for what they purchase, they also pay an administration fee to the State Department. Oh, well, I wonder how much money that is and where that goes. In the meantime, while we're selling arms all over the uh, world... The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, the ATF, seems to be working on a rule, according to whistleblowers, that's part of a 1,300-page document being drafted by the agency, who, of course, has no lawmaking authority whatsoever, that would require background checks for any and all firearm sales, including between two private individuals. Oh, well, that's kind of unconstitutional, but we've got, that's not going to bother them. Under the Fire or, Firearms Owners Protection Act of 1986, folks, just so you're clear, Congress carved out kind of private sales of firearms from all this nonsense. Quote, anyone engaged in the pr- business of selling guns shall not include a person who makes occasional sales, exchanges, or purchases of firearms for the enhancement of a personal collection or for a hobby, unquote. Well, this new ATF rule, folks, would strike all that down. Basically, you're a firearms dealer no matter who you sell firearms to. And if you sell a firearms, let's say to your son or give him a firearm, well, you need to do a background check on your relative or your friend or the recipient of the firearm. This is not a good law. And the Biden administration, you know, Obama's third term, they found out that they granted over a billion dollars to a UN agency called UNRWA, U-N-R-W-A. Specifically, $338 million in 2021, $343 million in 2022, and $296 million in 2023. The problem is, is that this this funding to this outfit had been cut out by the Trump administration, but Obama's third term reinstated it. Kind of like the Hooties over there, you know, um, they were taken off the terror watch list because, you know, they, they don't do anything bad. Well, now it seems that UNRWA actually had people, this is no kidding now, who participated. I don't mean they just accompanied. I mean, they participated in the October 7th Hamas attack, including killing Israeli citizens, raping Israeli women, and taking Israeli hostages. The UN, folks. The UN. I told you a little bit about them last and some of the nonsense they have going. And we continue to fund these people at all? All funding from the United States should be withdrawn from the UN, period. Since New York has such a housing problem for their illegal aliens in their sanctuary city, we could take the UN building there and just convert it into illegal alien apartments. It'd be perfect. And then, because, you know, we don't have a budget problem, everything is just going swimmingly everywhere in the United States and in the United States economy. There's a Democrat-backed permitting reform bill for green energy deals. It would hand out billions, billions, folks, in grants to eco-activist nonprofits. Oh, just what we need. So that they could conduct further environmental reviews on green government projects. Well, well, what a boondoggle this is, right? Where do I sign up? Easy money. Yes. So these nonprofits, other localities, we assume blue localities, and Native American tribes, oh, well, we have our diversity in there, they'd be able to apply for $500 million, that's $500 million, in grants every year, that's every year, 2024 through 2029. Yep, that's like $3 billion. You know, we got plenty of money, folks, not a problem. And this would be part of the Clean Electricity and Transmission Acceleration Act, or CETA, which supposedly is going to streamline the permitting 
process for green energy projects and expand transmission lines. Oh, that goes back to our private property thing and eminent domain and all that kind of stuff. Now, what's really interesting about all this is that, you know, this kind of follows on the heels of all the other nonsense that was passed by the Democrats. I want you to know how effective government is, how effective these bills are. So under Biden, or Obama's third term, the green transition has, despite all this money, trillions of dollars, folks, thrown at it uh, of our money, one of the provisions in these bills over the last several years have been the uh, rollout of electric vehicle EV chargers, right? You've seen them here and there, Helter and Skelter. Although there was $7.5 billion that was allocated for charger construction and upgrades, you know, that was the infrastructure law, folks, 2021, only two, that's two, one, two, stations have been built in the United States of America. It seems that regulations, of course, and union worker requirements have slowed the progress. Oh my, it's kind of like back there in Obama's time when he was president in name, not just president in fact. Do you remember that uh, that famous meeting? He goes, oh, I guess those projects weren't shovel ready after all. Yeah, well, nothing is as they say it is in the make-believe corrupt land of Washington, D.C. We're out of time. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, go to ontherightsideradio.com. Click on Show Archives and you'll find all of Reed's shows and a terrific array of informative articles, videos, and reference pages. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of On the Right Side Radio with Reed Lance Rosenthal.